Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Hello, good evening and welcome to Wild Ginger Running with the Scotney Takeover. <coughs> um, it's great to see so many of you here again with us tonight. Hopefully you're joining us on YouTube or you're listening in to us. And uh, on the podcast, we start tonight um, on a on a somber note with some sad news. Uh, those who um, have been following the news over last week will know of our dear friend, and who has also been co-hosting doing the competitions, John Canasty, and um, who has his own YouTube channel. Um, unfortunately, John passed away uh, yesterday and is no longer with us and it's a, a huge shock to the running community um john's smile was in, so infectious those who met him at races uh, will know of his love and passion for the sport um and kind of with it, what he was doing on youtube uh, if you've done the lakeland 50 or 100 you may have watched his videos and same for the dragons back um so our thoughts really go to to john's family during this time um, and it's great to see so many of the ultra running community sharing their you know, their sadness and in, in losing John but also with the impact he's had upon their running um, as well so uh, yeah this tonight is uh, is going for John so uh, yeah we we thank you John for the smiles you brought to us um, through your adventures and we will always remember you when we're out on the trail yeah, I've definitely got lots of happy memories of um, wrecking Northern Traverse with John. Well, um, but yeah, we're Jen and Marcus Scottney and we're here and I'm very excited that tonight we get to interview Rini McGregor. And Rini is one of the leading sports and eating disorder dietitians with over 20 years experience <laughs> and <laughs> she is founder of an Inspire Clinic and yeah we've got so many questions for you Rini. Um, thank you for giving up your time but it'd be just to, great for you to just how did you get into this and what is it exactly that you do? Well, thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, I did talk to my team this morning and said, can we take out the 20 years experience? <laughs> That's why I laughed when I said it. Um, so you started you when you were five. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess when you graduate at 22, maybe it's not that old. I don't know. But um, yeah, so how did I get into all this? Good question. Um, I mean, I guess I started, I did a biochemistry degree because I've always enjoyed understanding um, how the body works. And then I moved into dietetics quite quickly and actually did a stint in the NHS for about eight years. Um, and I guess, to be honest, I cannot, um, I can't really thank my experience enough really in the NHS. Like I learned so much from just having to be hands-on, thinking on the spot, 
um, coping with all the demands and, and you know, that it kind of has given me really, really good, uh, a really good base of knowledge and especially like clinical knowledge as well. Um, but I guess I've always been, always, always, always been really sporty as a kid moving into um, uni and then adulthood. It's always been my thing. So I was running at that point I was running with team bath and lots of the team bath crew were asking me lots of questions and um as you probably know from me I like to know what I'm talking about and I like to be credible and I'm really kind of um sort of yeah I'm very mindful that you can say things but I like to have the science to to back it up and so I actually ended up doing another another postgrad in um applied sports nutrition which kind of already cemented what I knew but just it was it was really useful from my point of view and that then threw me into the world of sport and to be honest I haven't really looked back since then I know some of you who know me will know I went to London and I've been to Rio um I helped out with Commonwealth didn't get to go but um helped out remotely from afar uh, when they were all out in in the Gold Coast and um but I think through all that and through all my experience, one of the things that's always kind of bothered me a little bit is that although performance is really important, if you don't have an athlete's heart, if you don't have an athlete's health central and first, you can't really get performance. And I suppose it's a really, one of my core values is care, compassion. You know, they're kind of really important to me and they're central to my practice and being able to help athletes be sustainable for as long as possible, which I know is kind of what you guys talk about a lot as well. It's really, really important to me. And so I guess after Rio, I had a little think about life in many aspects and changed my life completely, as we do, um, and decided to sort of, I suppose, go it alone and set up my consultancy. So I do still work in sports performance. I work with a lot of sports still, a lot of athletes, a lot of ultra runners, but I also specialize specifically in areas of um, REDS, which is relative energy deficiency in sport, female athlete health, particularly um, athlete health in general, and, and also eating disorders. So obviously we know that it happens. It's uh, something that's becoming more and more increasingly um, prominent in the sports world. So it's good to be able to be that voice that can help these individuals. So I guess that's it. I mean, I do a bit of everything. Um, as you know, I have a podcast and I now have a team and I have a brand apparently and uh, <laughs> things. And sometimes I have no idea what I'm doing, but um, but fundamentally I can definitely answer questions around sports nutrition. And that's good because that's what I'm here for. So that's good. good because we've got absolutely loads. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and if you're watching this live and if you do have some of the questions please pop them in the comments box if we've got time to to throw them at Rainy, we will do i mean one of the interesting things so you did running um early on and like you were saying uh, at bath but how, how did you get up into the into ultra running and because you you have been doing some ultra marathons haven't you um, oh i think that means that we're putting a picture up of you i think that's the yeah. ultra x yeah. which is actually up near where we live in the peak district, in the peak district. <laughs> Uh, yes. So I, I, yeah, I do. I have done a lot of running. How did I get into ultra running? Um, I guess it's like everybody, isn't it? Like you do the half marathons, then you do the marathons, <laughs> then you get the same time in marathon three or four times and you think, do you know what? I'll try something different. And, um, I've, I guess I've always been fortunate, a bit like you guys live in the countryside. So have always got access to trails and, um, hang out with Holly Rush so you kind of end up doing longer and longer stuff and um yeah I guess 
I got into trail running first, found I was fairly good at it and then just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And I suppose my first race, ultra race, was um, was actually the Classic Quarter, um, which is Lizard to Land's End. So I decided to go straight for marathon up to 44 miles, whatever that is. Um, so almost double because, you know, that's what you do, isn't it? And you're an ultra marathon. I think I both. went from like a six mile fell race to an ultra actually. I missed out all the half marathons. You just, you just, you just do that. And and I think from there on in, what else did I do? I then did um, a fantastic race, which I absolutely love. I mean, unfortunately, it's had to, it hasn't been running for the last few years, but um, up in, in the Lake District called um, SB35. So I did that. And... Yeah. Um, and then I went out to Nepal, which is where my heart is, as you guys know. Um, and I did the multi-stage. So it's an eight-day multi-stage race in the Himalayan mountains in around Manaslu. Um, and I've now done that twice. And I might even do it a third time. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I love Nepal. It just, I've really missed it. I was meant to go out last April to do Mustang. And that's the race that's been cancelled again this year, which I was just talking to you guys about offline. And um yeah, it's it's sad, but it is what it is. And I will definitely be going back as soon as I can. So I guess that was it. I just fell into it, to be honest, Marcus. I, I kind of, I one of those things, I'm not very fast, but I'm quite good at running for quite a long time. Like probably most ultra runners. So, uh, <laughs> running, a, running a long time and suffering. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at so, uh, yeah, and I guess, yeah, then so obviously last year, I was very, very fortunate that I got to run the Ultra X. Um, England their first kind of race in England and it was brilliant I really recommend it to everybody um, it is such a beautiful course and really it was really really well organized as well so I was very happy to be doing that and somehow God knows how I managed to come second in my age group so you know it must be your, um, your your coach as well that we have to thank yes, my that's I mean, not us, by the way. I mention my coach because, you know, he, he might get upset if I don't. But, uh, yeah. My coach is Other coaches are available. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking about races, look, before we kind of get into talking about kind of nutrition and health and that kind of thing. So is there any race you've got on your bucket list? Obviously, you say you want to go back out to Nepal, but is there any race... That, that's on your bucket list which you kind of like you, you maybe have spoken to Damien about and gone Damien I'd really like to do this race and, and he's rolled his eyes or you've not or have you, or have you not yet told him and now you're gonna tell there's only there's only you know there's only five of us here I think or, there's not there's not many around so you'll be all right Damien's really used to me just going oh I've just entered this <laughs> he's like ah, when did you when are you doing that and I'll be like about six weeks and he's like Right. Okay. So yeah, he's used to me doing that. I I mean, there's so many races, aren't there? There. I I really like the more remote races. I'm not really into the big ones. So I know a lot of people want to do UTMB and all that kind of stuff. And that's not. I I mean, I love being in Chamonix, and I spend most of my summers in Chamonix and out, you know, out there. But um, I don't need to do the race because I know the course. If that makes sense. So, yeah. um, I've actually entered. So the race I'd love to do, um is in Grenoble and it's um it's it's kind of like you can do it's called the four massives and you can either oh, do, oh, oh which told the fan four massives yeah, yeah. Marcus has done yeah. that one. <laughs> so I'd love to do that one because it's I fabulous. think that area is absolutely stunning and mm. very very 
like people just don't know it exists i don't think mm. so um yeah. so i i really like it out there and i think the the trails are a lot less groomed i did um monterosa two years ago and they, the trails are similar to that they're really not as groomed as they are in mm-hmm. uh, in chamonix and i just i quite like that it, it fits with who i am it's the same as nepal it's it's you just kind of make your own way and hope for the best um kind of thing i often get lost which is never a good thing but um but yeah i think that's the one that i'd love to do um but oh god there are so many aren't there like (laughs) so many um but yeah that would be that is on my list and i did try and enter it but then obviously everything's falling apart so you know (laughs) were were you gonna do it because it's a race you can do i did it in four stages uh, or you can do it as a 400 mile or you can do it as a 400 mile or you can do it in the four stages four stages i love stage races i know some people like i know jen you prefer just getting it done i, I just like the sleep deprivation just yeah. get it get it done <laughs> i love the challenge of a four stager absolutely love the fact that you have to get up and repeat and repeat yeah. and repeat and for yeah. me my body definitely prefers that like i I know, I know like the couple of times I've done Nepal and I've done other state, like when I did Monterosa as well, I did the stage race and I always seem to get something day three kicks in and I'm just, I'm really strong. And I think it's, it's because I don't go off like an absolute, um, idiot. Cause I'm, I'm kind of know that I have to pace myself, but I, I do definitely find that I'm better suited to stage races. And also from my point of view, I, am. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but I, I've got a, an autoimmune lung condition. And so I have to be quite mindful about pace. Otherwise, mm-hmm. potentially I can fall quite, you know, I can fall backwards and, and get quite poorly. So I'm, I'm quite like, I'm, I love adventures. And I swear, I think the stage races come into their own because you're, you have an adventure every day for four days or eight days or 12 days or, or whatever. So yeah, four stage races are definitely my thing. I do like the idea I have done somewhere you're in that little bubble aren't you and you're just completely taken out of normal work and routine and nothing else exists other than the race and what you're going to eat that evening (laughs) as well because you you get to know people I think you're all in this really intense bubble for Mm. however many days and I'm one of some of my best friends that I've made in you know are people that I've met on these and these multi-day events and we we're still in touch and we look you know especially at the moment it's so nice because they're all around the world and it's mm. actually really nice to be able to check in and, and go how are you finding it and you know so so it, it's it's really nice and um I think it's a whole different experience like I've never I will be honest I've never done anything beyond 50 miles that's my limit and I don't particularly have any desire to go above that in one go but I take my hat off to people who do absolutely but I I think it's just a whole different ball game in terms of the experience of everything the highs the lows the but every day for four or five days and I I, for me that works really well brilliant well if you want some tips on UT4M just drop drop in the email I can fill you in on what the course is like it is a great course it's amazing it is one of those races frankly which is quite unknown other than that region so you get a lot of kind of good French representation but um, there's not many international other runners there but yeah and the atmosphere and like you say in that four days I met so many great unfortunately my French isn't brilliant um, but I had some great chats with some guys there and yeah I really recommend it if you can get the chance to go out and do it this year or next year it's a great race 
But we're we're not just brought you here to talk about, <laughs> about running and races. Here we are, typical ultra runners and race runners, aren't yeah. we? Um, talking. Um, we've we've actually kind of got you on to talk a bit more about your. Yeah, I'm your afraid you're going to have to work a bit. Yeah. Now. <laughs> All good. So what question I are we think we start should on? start with a question from one of Claire's patrons, which is from John, um, because I think that this is a really good question and kind of leads us into um some of some well a very typical question that I get when I'm coaching as well so she John is asking um I'd be keen to hear about how to ensure you're fueling enough for high mileage weeks while at the same time trying to lean down a bit the balance is really hard to find and I have a fear of I'll undercut too much and leave myself lacking energy so yeah that's the question from John it's a really good question and I'm glad it's come up because I think it's actually very, very, very difficult to do. Um, and I and I think like he's right in that if you do if you do over restrict, obviously you're going to be lacking in energy. But actually also what you do is you you actually make the situation a lot worse for you in the sense that your body tends to go into preservation mode and shut down so you actually hold on to more body fat than actually losing it so it's a very very fine it's a lot of fine tuning and generally speaking what I advise is if you are training for a specific particular event then my advice is probably that's not the time to be thinking about leaning down because it you're you're more likely to put too much pressure on yourself and restrict but if you fuel your training sessions appropriately, then actually what you'll notice is that automatically your body will composition will will change. So what I mean by that is just making sure that you're actually fueling enough and not under fueling at all. And and this I think is where a lot of runners go wrong because they tend to think, oh, I don't, I'm going out for three hours. Oh, I can get away, especially ultra runners. I can get away with not fueling. Um, I won't take anything out, but then you'll get to race day. And of course you need to fuel and you need to start fueling quite early on. And then they get stomach problems and issues because they haven't trained their gut to, to be able to manage that. So there's a, there's a twofold reason why I would encourage people to fuel appropriately during training. One is to train your gut ready for your big event. But also we know that when you give your body sufficient fuel, it is more likely then to adapt to the training. So you're more likely to become leaner, stronger, faster, because it's got the energy there, not only to do the work you want to do in terms of training, but also for all those other really important biological processes that are going on internally. And I had a conversation earlier today with um, quite a renowned um, women's magazine about this whole situation about like, we never think about the body beyond the exercise we do and the amount of food we're taking in. And we forget that actually there's so many other processes going on within our body all the time, like the energy it takes to maintain your immune system, the energy it takes for your brain. Like that's something I find really fascinating that if you think about an ultra, you're always going to get to a point where you, you, you've got to make a decision about you know do you step down there or do you go over the top or, or do you walk through the puddle or whatever it is you have to make that decision and if you haven't fueled yourself properly then your brain can't click in it can't it can't do that and our brain actually uses 20 percent of our overall energy intake so it's really really quite 
demanding from a fuel perspective. And and things like, you know, when we're training, we're obviously trying to get our capillaries to, to develop so we can get more blood flow to our muscles. All of this takes energy and people forget that. They just think about the numbers that are coming off their watches or on their trackers and going, oh, well, I only burnt 600 calories, so I better not. But actually, that tracker cannot tell you what's going on internally. So my advice would be, John, that, you know, ensure that you're giving your body enough fuel particularly for those longer harder sessions you know like if you're going out for several hours make sure you fuel on the run before the run after the run if you're doing a harder tempo or hill rep or interval type session make sure you're fueling sufficiently particularly carbohydrate before and after that because that's actually going to help you in the long run lean up more than you trying to be in a deficit that is going to hold on to more body fat. Brilliant. Yeah, because we often, as coaches, we will get athletes who come to us and maybe they don't tell us straight away, but as we're going through their training, they might suddenly put a note in or they might suddenly say a comment like, oh, yeah, I did that run fasted. Or they might suddenly say to us, you know, what what, what do you think about fasted runs? Um, and, and, and so, <laughs> what, what's your, I'm not going to say what our responses are, so you can listen to your response and then we'll nod and maybe, oh yeah, that's good. What, what's, so, and I know there is a brilliant video of you talking, um, is it on the Global Triathlon or, uh, which I... Which, one of them, I can't remember which one, one yeah. and I can't remember which one it was. Which I do, I do share with, with athletes, but anyway, I'll shut up and... No, again, it's a really good question. And I think it's fascinating because there's still this big camp within ultra running particularly that believes that if you do fasted training, then you're going to use more fat for fuel and your body's going to become more fat adapted um, and you're going to increase your oxygen, your, your fat oxidation. But actually, none of the studies match up. Like if you really go in and read the studies, none of them match up. So what you're finding is actually if you do fasted training, particularly longer fasted training, you end up decreasing fat oxidation. So again, you don't get the results that you're looking for. But not only that, is that you downregulate your body's ability to utilize carbohydrate. So if you're then finishing off, you know, you finish and you go and eat whatever your porridge or your pasta or your potatoes or whatever, you actually make your body less efficient at using that as fuel. So I'm definitely not a fan of fasted training i'm not a fan of intermittent fasting i'm not a fan of fasting full stop um but i appreciate some people and some coaches and i'm not saying you guys i don't know but some coaches do encourage some fasted training and and there is a place for it occasionally <laughs> um be very very short runs like very short runs less than 60 minutes hmm at a very low intensity of like 60% of your maximum heart rate and for no more than twice a week. And that's max. And that's not coming from me. That's actually coming from Mike Gleason, who is like huge professor at Loughborough, who does loads of studies on immune health. And that's from an immunity point of view that for individuals like us who do a lot of training, we might not be elite level, but we do a lot of training. We do a lot of mileage. Our bodies are always under um, pressure and stress. And so that's the reason I, I don't recommend it for anybody at all. Um, but I, I know that sometimes it is encouraged, mainly in cycling more than running now, I've noticed. But there are still some people who, there are still some coaches who who believe 
that you can get more fat adapted but actually it's not a case and if anything you're probably going to put more pressure on your overall system depress your immune system depress your hormone system as well which as we know is you know it's kind of what i talk about every day but is critical for adaptation critical for your bone health critical for your mood critical for your cognitive function like it's it's so important our hormonal health um and also you know if you don't have good hormones you're not going to produce your growth hormone which is what you need to get stronger and faster so yeah it's not something i recommend at all um and i think i'm not saying you need to eat a massive bowl of porridge before you go out but i am saying that you need to have some carbohydrate availability whether that's you know a yogurt and a banana or some weetabix or um, if you can't eat anything, maybe you use a sports drink or, you know, diluted orange juice or, or juice or something. So you're getting some and then you top that up when you're out, particularly on those longer, harder runs. And would that be a similar themes for I'm just thinking of kind of another trend on from the fasted runs is something that we see with ultra runners thinking that they should be high fat and low carb diets. Is that a kind of a similar um, stress upon the yeah. immune system? Again, I am, and and people might not like me for this, but I will always say what I am. And I am very anti-high fat, low carb, because, I mean, I don't have to speak. I mean, I can, you know, I can obviously, I can rationalize it. But Louise Burke, who is the biggest bod in the whole of sports nutrition, like we all bow down to her because she is the person who you go to if you have any of any major questions. She has, she said... About five years ago, she, her and her husband, her husband's John Hawley, so they're both big figures in sports nutrition, and they were they were like, we are desperately trying to prove that a low carb, high fat diet would improve performance, and they were really trying. They did loads and loads of studies, and they just couldn't because we know the physiology of the human body is that the human body prefers carbohydrate as a source of fuel, and also it's the quickest way of getting fuel into the system so although yes we can break down fat we can't quickly so if you need that fuel fast it's not going to happen and you know what i've seen in clinic over the last five years the trend i've seen with the low carb high fat diet is that people are coming in with um very dysfunctional and deranged thyroid function and that's being um misdiagnosed then as like hypothyroidism but actually it's to do with the fact that it's a massive endurance stress and not sufficient carbohydrate availability um we're seeing more and more men and women who have severely depleted bone health because their testosterone and their estrogen levels have been plummeting and they haven't realized because again when you don't have enough carbohydrate availability it affects your production of um t3 which is one of your thyroid hormones and that is you know completely linked to your hypothalamus and 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 then shuts everything down also we see a much higher level of your stress hormone cortisol which again if that's high and that's chronically high one you're going to hold on to more fat around your belly area uh two you're going to have a much um kind of compromised metabolism of both carbohydrate and fat and three you tend to hold on to more fat anyway, and you you know, and it kind of shuts down the, the hypothalamus. So there's many, many reasons why I'm not a pro ketogenic diet or high fat, low fat, um, high fat, I can't say it, high fat, low carb. Um, 
Um, and I know some people find that really difficult. And I do get I do get a little bit of trolling and abuse on Twitter when I talk about it. And that's absolutely fine. I, I can handle it. But I only ever speak what's evidence. And there is just not enough evidence to suggest that it's the best way to do it. And particularly for women, like some men may get away with it just the way physiology works but women <laughs> women shouldn't um do it at all because um it's really bad for their hormones <laughs> perfectly timed <laughs> <by Sherlock. laughs> and so uh, when you say fueling um what is it that you're talking about you mentioned carbs where do proteins fit in we've had a few questions about what people should be looking for in terms of how their food is um composed so I think like um, generally speaking in the past like many many decades ago there used to be this whole percentage thing in like mm. this many percent carb this much percent protein and, and we've kind of moved away from that in sports nutrition so what we talk about now is usually grams per kilogram of body weight so then it can be very specific to the individual and so fundamentally like these again these are kind of rule of thumb obviously everybody's gonna be slightly different but what we say is if you're doing like between one and two hours of, of training a day. And this is just training. This is not if you're really busy in a physical job as well, then you have to think about more. So we do need to take that into consideration. But if you're doing like one to two hours a day, then you need around five to six grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. And that needs to be spread out through the day, but definitely around your training specifically. And that's really, really important. When it comes to protein, we know that, again, a lot of people... Um, think that they should just eat all their protein after they've trained and like just have like three steaks or you know I think that's come from the rugby world but um, <laughs> it's, it's not how it should be. again what we need to do is is kind of spread it out and we've learned that actually trying to encourage good intakes of protein several times a day is really helpful not only just to um, to prevent blood sugar fluctuations but also it means that your body has constantly got a pool of amino acids that it can you know, it can it can pull from and, and start repairing and, and everything. So again, the general rule of thumb is around around 0.4 grams per kilogram of body weight at your main meals and particularly in that post training recovery option, whether that's a meal or a snack, depending on what time you do that. And when it comes to fat, it's a difficult one because like if you're going off to do some and let's face it we know people who do maybe you you guys have done it yourself but you're going off to do some crazy run in the arctic or some like i was meant to sadly i was due to go to sweden um in six weeks time to race to race out there but obviously that won't be happening the race is continuing but obviously we're in lockdown so i won't be going um but that's like quite a harsh environment it was up in the mountains and it was going to be freezing cold so in those situations you might need a bit more fat just because energy demand is going to be higher um but generally speaking for majority of us in the uk or in temperate countries you you want to aim for about a gram per kilogram of body weight of fat and ideally more of those unsaturated you know those essential fatty acids so your olive oils your rapeseed oils your nuts seeds um, oily fish that kind of thing so that's kind of like your fundamentals I guess like that's kind of how I would start that's where I'd start and then build out depending on the individual obviously fruit and vegetable is important but one thing I would say and something I'm seeing a lot in clinic is that as more and more athletes are moving towards a plant-based diet which is 
fine there's no problem with that but a lot of them are displacing carbohydrate with vegetables and so what's happening is they're not then meeting their energy requirements um because although vegetables according to many food tracking apps are carbohydrate the problem with them is that they are mainly cellulose so they they're, they're really difficult to break down so we don't actually we use them for fiber which is really important for gut health which again is really key with the you know the gut brain axis and all that kind of information but it's not useful for energy for in terms of running or whatever you're doing so it's just being mindful that yes you do include fruit and veg but don't displace the things you need because um, again a very like a, again the problem with the plant-based diet is it's quite voluminous so it can be quite hard to get the energy you need for the work you're doing um, and you just have to be really careful about how you plan those diets it's not you can't be you can't be plant-based but it's just understanding how to do it and how would we know that we're not getting the requirements that we need how would that turn up before something very wrong has happened such as uh, like when you talk about red s stress factors chronic fatigue things like that how do we know day to day that we're getting enough i mean so again it's a really good question it's quite difficult to to have an, an absolute like without sort of doing proper physi- physiological monitoring it's quite hard to know but i think the key things are if you are recovering well between sessions and you know that you know you can get up and you can do your Sherlock didn't like that one um if if you know that you can yeah you're kind of um recovering well between sessions and and I think we all know what that means like there are times when we've probably um woken up and just not felt like we're ready to do a harder session or longer session even though that's scheduled for us and that might not be nutrition that might be sleep or work stress but I think if you're finding that's happening continuously then that's definitely a sign um poor sleep can be a sign so i'm not saying it is but it can be because again when the body is in low energy availability so when it's hungry it's going to stay awake and and be looking for food so that can obviously then that interferes again with that recovery process as well you might just feel quite fatigued like even before you get to the really sort of chronic fatigue you might just start to think you know you just feel quite tired um, it, that's kind of the thing I notice for me is that I just notice that I'm really quite tired. I don't want to take the dog out for a walk because I'm quite tired. And I think, why am I tired? Like I'm, you know, I'm sat in front of the computer all day long or whatever. So, uh, and how, sorry, how do you def- how do you differentiate that from training volume? So yeah. as ultramarathon runners, sorry, you look like you kind of knew I was preempting that question almost, isn't it? Because as ultramarathon runners, and even as an athlete myself, but we're working as a, with athletes and you know, you sometimes get the feedback like, oh, they felt tired or I've woken up and they're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm broken almost, become fatigued because of the volume of training I'm doing. Is there a way of knowing, right, this is because of the training volume I'm doing or this is my diet causing that or is it just a question of trial and error? It, it needs a bit of trial and error, but there are things you can do. I think also it's it's being, it's like for me, I'm very aware. Like I will look at my diet and go, yeah you probably didn't eat enough based on what you've just done and and i and like mm-hmm. i'll you know i kind of know if i'm if i'm feeling if my legs are feeling heavy i'll often say to damien i'm really tired and he the first question he'll ask me is because he knows it's not that i don't eat it's just that when i'm busy sometimes it can be quite difficult for me to realize just how much fuel i need and so he will say 
I know I shouldn't ask you, but are you eating properly? And I'm like, actually, it's a good question because I've actually just had toast for dinner for the last three days. And that's not because I'm, that's just because of work more than anything else. So I'm very aware and I'll pull back and go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't run for a few days and it's, it's all fine. But something else we can do is, um, something I use is, um, I monitor my HRV, which can be a really helpful mm-hmm. tool. Now, HRV is, don't, please don't like, it, it is crude, as in it's not, it's not always the most accurate, but I do think it helps us to follow our own trends quite well. So um, obviously some people use their Garmin watches that do it for them. Some people have whoop bands. There's now an aura ring or something. Um, I just use an app on the phone. So I'm very simple tech. We talked about tech earlier. So um, there's there's an app I use called HRV number four training. It's really simple. Every morning I put my finger over my camera. It reads my pulse. It then works out what my HRV is from that. And I've been collecting data now for nearly a year. And it's really useful. Like things like suddenly I'll get a really low value and I'll be like, why is that? And then I'll realize, oh, it's because I'm due on tomorrow or, or something. So it's quite helpful um, from that point of view. But also it, it does, when I was training for the peaks, uh, it was really good. It sort of plotted how, how much um, fitter I was getting, but also what my fatigue levels were. It was kind of picking all that up. And, and so that was really helpful for Damien as well, because he could look at that and he would adjust my training accordingly, which I think is really helpful for coaches. So that's a really, that's a very tangible piece of evidence that I think any athlete can use and should use crudely but should use because I think with us ultra runners is that we we think oh yeah we should be tired we've just did we did 20 miles yesterday or whatever but there's tired and then there's overcooking it and I think for me having that data if I wake up and think I am quite tired and it sort of says looking very tired then that kind of helps me to make my plan and I'll talk to Damien and we'll, we'll sort it out between us so I think that can be really helpful um the other thing you might notice is that you do start getting a lot of niggles that's a really big one like before we go into stress fractures and things but if you're getting a lot of niggles like I was talking to a, a ballet dancer this afternoon and she you know she isn't she to be fair she's not in a in a great place but she hadn't appreciated but the one thing she's like I just keep getting this niggle in my hip and that's a real classic sign that there's just not enough fuel kind of going in so if you're getting getting a lot of niggles and I mean literally niggles like you know you just pet that ligaments pulled up that can be a sign that something's a bit off um they'd be the key ones I guess mood as well I definitely watch mood and I'm sure and I know you guys do check with your athletes but I think checking in what's their motivation like and it's difficult at the moment I understand with the pandemic everybody's feeling a bit flat but you know your athletes really well so you'll be able to kind of identify is this a pandemic thing or is this actually I'm a bit concerned that something else is going on so that kind of mood and motivation to to actually want to train I think is an important one to be picking up on. So I do a lot of monitoring um, with the people I work with and also for myself. And I think that helps me to to stay accountable as well. Um, And then you can pick things up a lot quicker. Ideally, I would do blood tests on everybody, but obviously. (laughs) Well, every day. (laughs) 
Well, I'd love you to talk to Tom, to be honest, because that would give you a really good indicator of what's going on. So things like, for example, t- talking about blood tests, like, for example, I obviously I work with, um, I do work with England National Ballet, and we do blood tests quite regularly. But things that I potentially look at will be ferritin and um, so your iron stores and vitamin D. So if they're low, that actually puts you at a much higher risk of injury. And so even just even just picking up on that is like, okay, if someone presents and, and those numbers are quite low, I'll be like, I want to I want to find out what's going on here. So I'll do a little bit more ex- investigating about what's happening with them and checking, is it a fuel thing? Is it, you know, is it an overtraining thing? Is it is it just one of those things that we're in winter and their vitamin D levels are low and they've not taken a supplement? I think it's, again, mm. I find even just looking at those two, are really quite useful from a we know that if ferritin levels are low then you are a you are a potentially at a higher risk of stress fractures because it's sort of suggesting the body's not got quite enough energy to produce red blood cells so that's an indicator i'm not saying it's always the case but it's an indicator we've actually got a specific question about that from catherine um she she was talking a little bit um no no not that one. <laughs> um, and it's, it says, what are Rini's thoughts on supplements? And she was saying that she takes vitamin D, she takes omega-3, and she's just not really sure if that's right. So how do us that aren't the experts know what supplements to take? So vitamin D is the only supplement I would encourage everybody to take, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, particularly between the months of September and April, because we ju- we know that we just don't get enough sunlight. Um, and even when we do get the right wavelength of sunlight between April and September, um, it's usually between the hours of 11 and 3. So if you're working or, you know, you, you're not going to necessarily get it. So vitamin D is one that I do encourage most people to take. That said, the amount you take will depend on what your levels are. And I know that's really difficult because not all GPs are willing to do blood tests and and, and that can be quite tricky. So um, like one of the the symptoms that are associated with low vitamin D would be very tired, like that proper walking through treacle type tired, Um, muscle kind of muscle soreness, but really, you know, almost like myalgia, you know, like that really just everything hurts all the time um your recovery between sessions will be diabolical um and and you just you you generally just feel quite malaise like you just don't feel very well and it can always feel autoimmune but actually it's the vitamin d that's that's the issue so that if you're if you're feeling those symptoms i'd say you probably need quite a high dose but if you're kind of just wanting to tick over then you can probably use a, like a bog standard RDA type dose that you can pick up. Um, with things like iron, we know that there's only um, there's only worth taking iron if you are actually um, iron deficient. So if you actually have an iron deficiency, then we know there's benefit to taking it. But if you don't, then to be honest, you're not really doing yourself any favour. So that's why I don't recommend too many other supplements. It sort of depends on an individual basis. You know, one... So with the omega threes, they're very very useful. But if you eat a lot of oily fish, then you probably don't need them. It kind of depends on your diet and and what's going on for you. Um, the only other supplement I tend to recommend is I would recommend probiotics, especially if I'm working with a with an athlete that has a particular 
competition in mind or a particular race in mind and it's like their a race and it means a lot to them because we know that if you take probiotics in 12 weeks in the lead up to a race then that can can be really good for your immune system so it can prevent the potential upper respiratory tract infections that we often get if we're pushing quite hard so that's that can be quite useful um and then there are individual bases, like it might be that for some athletes I'd recommend things like Cherry Active. Again, it's shown that it can reduce the amount of time needed for recovery. So in multi-day races, it's quite useful. Um, and it's kind of when I would take it. It's also useful if you're traveling to a race and you need to get into, you need to get over jet lag. It can be quite useful for that as well. Um, and the only other supplement that I tend to use with people I work with is collagen but that will depend on kind of is it a bone issue is it the fact that they're older so older athletes and unfortunately I include myself in that so once you get over 40 you are an older athlete um, older athletes also start to lose elasticity in their tendons and that can obviously then put them at a higher risk of tendinopathy and, and issues and so in those cases it could be useful to be taking a collagen supplement but it's very individual depending on on the person but vitamin d yes definitely you mentioned probiotics there what type of because you know again that's a huge kind of when you start looking into probiotics um it's kind of like oh do i just go and get a yogurt from a supermarket and just stuff my face with yogurt or is it better to go and get something like simprove which um and are you kind of recommended yeah so i mean it Simprove is great and Simprove is clinically proven um, to work in a number of different sort of um, situations, I guess. Um, it's not the one I'd always, it's not, I wouldn't always recommend Simprove, but it does depend. Like it's very, I found it's very helpful for people who have runner's gut, for example. It can seem to help that. Um, it's very good for when I'm working with people who are recovering from red S and, and obviously one of the symptoms of red S is um, slow motility of food through the gut, so slow digestion. And, and obviously when you're then increasing your volume of food or you're trying to you know, improve energy availability, that can put quite a lot of pressure on, on the gut if it's working quite slowly. And so Simprove doesn't, doesn't treat it, but it can improve, it can help to alleviate some of the discomfort and symptoms. So the so Simprove is one I definitely work with and, and I, I I would recommend it. And the reason why it's so good is because it's um, water suspended. So it basically can move through the stomach without being affected by all the acid. So it's, that's why it's so useful. But then, yeah, I mean, in terms of kind of general health, yeah, I mean, yogurt is great. You know, like you're maintaining a good um maintaining good gut health is really important the one thing to remember about gut health is that there's no ideal microbiome they're all different um and so it's one of those things that while i know lots of people are doing microbiome testing and all that kind of stuff but you know actually as male and female you would need different types of bacteria to be um pre present in order to have good gut gut health so i don't tend to recommend the kind of testing side of stuff very often but i think an optimal gut is one that's working well and you know is not giving you too much grief um and you know you can kind of tell from 
you can tell from your from your bowels basically what's going on and and how and then what whether you need to be worried or not worried so uh, so yeah i won't go into that i mean it's nearly dinner <laughs> well we actually i was just going to lean on because we'd had quite a specific question from um alex but this was in the context of a race so okay. this is a problem that some of the ultra runners are brought up is that they're having stomach problems so it says i would like to know if Rini has some advice what to do if you get stomach problems during a race is there anything you could eat or drink to calm your stomach so this is kind of more rather than the long term this is what's happening in a race i think you have to ask yourself why it's happening so i think like it's important to kind of think about that and you know a lot of the, the common problems or the common mistakes people make is salt so you know, like when you're doing ultra running, your sodium requirements are probably going to be a lot higher than if you're doing a 10K or a half marathon or even a marathon. So and again, depending on your environment, you know, whether it's hot or so. But on average, and this is very, very average on average, your requirements will be could be somewhere between the regions of 700 and 900 milligrams of sodium per liter of fluid you take in. Um, now, that is actually quite low some people are really heavy sodium losers and they might need a lot more and and so you know when we work with the 24-hour team we actually we kind of they've all been sweat tested so we kind of know what their requirements are and it's so varied but it really helps because obviously if you are losing a lot of sodium then you're concentrate. You're becoming more and more dehydrated. So you're concentrating the contents of your gut. So you start adding food to that, and of course you're going to have stomach upset. So, understanding your salt balance, your fluid balance, is is one of the first things I would be looking at generally, because a lot of people just assume it's because they're using gels, but actually it's probably the the concentration in your gut. The other thing is obviously, as we said right at the beginning, training your gut. So if you don't practice with the food you're going to eat during a race, you're going to have problems. And and not only is it practicing the food you're going to eat in a race, it's practicing at the pace that you're going to race as well. Because, again, it's all very well thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I can eat a pork pie or whatever it is. But actually, if if you're running quite hard, you probably can't eat a pork pie. So, you know, it's kind of working out what you, so I've worked out over the years that I'm actually best with liquid because I actually find that a lot easier to just keep on taking sips on and um, then intermittently I'll probably eat some real food when I need to, depending on how long I'm out there for. But generally speaking, because somebody did ask us, Hmm. um, one of the viewers, kind of what do you eat? During an ultramarathon, yeah. <laughs> so this, so you kind of, it's like, so you're saying a liquid diet. Now, for some people, a liquid diet is something very different, isn't it, um, <laughs> to what you'd be having in a race? Um, but yeah. are you talking a carbohydrate, um, yeah. isotonic drink? Yeah. So I really like, and and this might help people who are struggling with uh, with stomach issues. I really like, um, and you don't have to use this. Just making that a disclaimer thing. But I really like um, active root because I like ginger. Like gingers. I even carry crystalline ginger all the time. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I use active root. I tend to concentrate it up and use double the concentration that's recommended because it's quite low in carbohydrate otherwise. So I tend to double it, particularly the races I do because they're obviously quite long. Um, and I just find I don't get sick of it. I don't, I don't, I've tried lots of different, I've tried Morton, I've tried SIS beta fuel and I just I can't stomach them for very long but for me this one seems to work and and that's again that's years of trying to work out in between that I also eat a lot of jelly tots 
Um, and <laughs> I eat a lot of peanut M and M's. Um, <laughs> I like a Snickers bar. And Chris, this sounds so healthy. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm really <laughs> as well. Just putting that out there. I, I know lots of How can you eat an oat cake when your mouth's dry? But I can. It's all good. I like the seeded ones because they're like, especially when you've had a lot of sweet stuff, they can just mm. sort of take off the edge. Um, and I also use peanut butter slugs. So although it's not carbs, again, what I find is that it just helps with a bit of salt changing my palate if I've had a lot of um, sweet stuff. Um, if I can get my hands on it, I'll eat potatoes. But obviously that depends on the race and, and who's crewing for me. Um, but yeah, I guess that's that's generally my my choice. I'm not saying you need to follow what I do. At all. <laughs> that's what I that's what I've found out works for me after all the races I've done. Um, in Manuslu, I just ate what was given to me. Like we were given chapatis, and I would just eat a chapati while I was running. Like I didn't care. It was whatever. And I think because I'm very good at. I tend to always fuel when I'm ru- running, like when I'm out doing long stuff. So my stomach's quite good because I've got I've mm. got quite good at looking after it. Um, but some other good suggestions are, you know, like if you are somebody that's that struggles a little bit with food and and kind of, but you need the energy, then some of the people I work with, we encourage them to blend down rice pudding. And you can almost dilute that a little bit. So add a bit of water to that if you want to. But that's a really good source of carbohydrate. It can be quite, um, it's quite easily digestible. And some people find that really helpful. Damien loves a soya milk, hot chocolate soya milk towards the end of his races. He finds that really helps him. And he, he always has one of those. So I think it's like, it is working out what works for you as an individual. And sometimes you have to try loads of different things. Some people like pizza you know mm-hmm. um that can work yeah I, I think that's and that's such a key important part isn't it because as coaches we're always asked what what do we eat um and and does that mean now because that's what works for us it you know works for the scotness is then going to work for, for joe blogs uh, as well and we're always saying to our athletes like you've got to go and explore it and like you say just test it out um in, in training and yeah what is there anything you would recommend so if you are in a race situation mm-hmm. and your stomach does suddenly start kind of shutting down as you sometimes hear people saying and people just can't get any more food in or fluid in there when they're being sick is there anything you have come across working with 24-hour team and your own experience that can maybe then help alleviate that so that they can start mm-hmm. getting food back in yeah, so one of the things we used with the 24-hour team was, it sounds ridiculous, but I've used it with so many athletes, but it really has worked really well with them, is boiled sweets. Just take, like, a boiled sweet, whether that's, I probably wouldn't go for a Werther's original because it might be a bit sickly. Something that, um, you know, something sharp, maybe like a lemon sherbet or um, like a, a ginger, like a ginseng, I think, like those travel sweets. But those can be really good because you suck on that, um, and it's giving a little bit of carbohydrate, tiny bit of carbohydrate back to the brain. So that will help because if, you know, if, you, if your stomach's shutting down, it could be a number of reasons. It could be that you're fatigued. It could be that you haven't, your blood sugars are dropping. It could be so many different things. So I think getting a little bit of sugar back into the brain and just letting things settle can really help. And I know um, James Stewart, who is one of the 24-hour team and he's a good friend of mine as well. He said to me, I, can't remember, was it, I think it was Tim Asawara when we were in Romania a couple of years ago. And he said, that boiled sweet, I, he was like, I, was, I had that for like two hours, but it was the best thing. And it got back 
on track. So, you know, don't underest don't underestimate the power of just sucking the sweet, to be honest. But it could also be like I had a really rough patch in Monterosa and it was my own fault um, because I hadn't appreciated how hot it was going to be. Um, and I didn't take enough salt in. And I got to the point where I think we were I was one of the last checkpoints towards the second day. And I, I, I was like, I actually couldn't take food down because I was starting to feel really nauseous. And I was drinking water and I was just so thirsty, but I, just, but nothing was staying down. And I was like, and you know, when you get that swishy feeling in your stomach and you know, and I knew I needed salt. I knew that I needed salt and stupidly didn't have any on me. But thankfully the ultra running community is a lovely community. And, um, some of the guys on the course could see that I was struggling and asked me if I was okay. And I said, look, I'm okay. I've just, I know what I need. And they said, oh, I've got loads of salt caps and gave me a load. And actually I was back on track after that. And, and it was really good. So I think understanding your body and potentially thinking about what it could be. And when, when we're preparing for the 24 hour team, we're always getting them to think about the what ifs. Like we're always thinking about the contingency plan because you can have your best plan but it's really important to think, well, what if this happens and what if this happens and what if this happens and what if this happens? And you can then try and um, just have have solutions for all that. I mean, we did that going into Rio. And I think that is kind of where I learned it from is to kind of think about the potential problems that can occur and then how you get through those. Can you have too much salt? Because obviously there's hypertremia, which, you know, people have died in marathons from. So we've kind yeah. of, you know, you're saying about and I know people who will carry salt tablets because of cramping which that now has kind of been debunked and cramping is not because of sodium levels dropping um but obviously if it's stomach issues if it's salt levels dropping but if you're putting can you put too much in and then yeah. cause yourself sodium poisoning yeah you can do and it is it's a, it's a tricky one to balance in that in that kind of you know in that place because the symptoms are quite similar hypo and hyper so it can be quite a difficult one um and I think fundamentally, though, what I noticed the difference is, is that obviously when you need salt, you don't taste it. So, you know, when you need like if you need it and someone gives you salt tablets or, or gives you something salty, you don't you probably find you don't like if you've done a long run and then you have something to eat and you might think, oh, I can't taste any salt in this because your body's telling you you need salt. Whereas if you're then tasting the salt, that would suggest that perhaps you've had too much and and it's a difficult one because I think I would suggest especially ultra runners it's worth trying to do a sweat test if you can and I appreciate now's not an easy time to do it that said you know precision hydration do a really good online version that you can get a rough estimate of of what your requirements are um, and I think that's a really good starting point and then obviously when it's possible go and do a sweat test particularly if you're going to do a race in the desert or somewhere really hot or even at altitude, I would really recommend just getting a sweat test and getting to know your body because then you can be a lot more prescriptive about your needs. And like, because like with me, I know that I'm a heavy salt loss loser, so I knew what was going on. I, I just wasn't prepared for the heat, and that was my own fault, really. So, um, so I think yeah, learning about your body could be really, really helpful. Could that change though? So you say like learning about your body for a woman, would that change throughout her cycle? Would that change when it got to the menopause? Is that just a whole other yeah. area that we have to deal with? <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. So obviously one of the things about 
the women is is obviously their menstrual cycle does affect not only their sodium but also their carbohydrate requirements as well so um it's kind of so yeah if you're basically if we split the cycle up and it's no women has got a 28 day cycle but if we just split up like that because it's just easier um the first half of your cycle so let's say day one to day 14 so day one being the day you start your period um things are generally quite stable so for all the guys watching that's when you want to ask for the things that you want to ask for because it's kind of, you're going to get a rational answer basically because that's when life is stable and what i mean by that is that hormones are generally quite low so estrogen and progesterone are very low and they don't really do very much and, and we can actually push ourselves quite hard in that so if you've got a race in that time you're probably going to get your pbs if i'm honest is during that point um post ovulation is when all the fun happens and that's when basically obviously you you know you kind of the egg is released and then that produces um the corpus luteum then produces progesterone and estrogen and so you've got these rising levels of hormones estrogen will fall before progesterone so progesterone that the right the, the increase in progesterone and the drop in progesterone is basically what causes most women to go slightly nuts during their menstrual cycle um, and if you're very sensitive to progesterone i can say that because i'm a woman so it's all fine um but if you're slightly sensitive to new progesterone they're the things that would be why you probably feel like you know like sometimes you've gone out you've, you've had your breakfast you've gone out for a run and it's the normal run that you normally do, but you feel really shaky, even though you're like, but I only ate 20 minutes ago. And that is the progesterone that can be causing these really unstable blood sugars. And so if you're racing in the second half of your cycle, and particularly towards the end of your cycle before your period is due, not only are your sodium requirements going to probably be a lot higher because you do tend to get a lot more um, salt losses because you're sweating a lot more, your core temperature goes up. So that's the whole aspect of it. And also your heart rate will go up and you probably see that, you've probably noticed it in your training, um, but also your um, carbohydrate requirements go up. So you actually utilize a lot more carbohydrate. And what's really interesting is it's not necessarily, although it's really useful to have glycogen stores actually it's the external carbohydrate you're taking that you use more efficiently so if you're doing a race in this second half of your cycle you might actually need to take a lot more carbs than you would have done if you'd done the same race or done a race in the first half of your cycle so i think what i'm saying is i've always said this all the way along but there is no one size fits all and there's no kind of standard practice you kind of have to move with what's going on for you. And with females, that's really, really, really relevant and really important. Um, when it comes to menopause, it's quite tricky because again, you have this perimenopause, which could be as long as five years to as short as a few months, depending. And that's really individual and that's very, you know, it's very um, genetic and, and kind of lifestyle orientated so it's very hard to say because a lot of women once they get to 45 will probably start to notice that things change like hormone cycles might get um, a bit shorter or longer or you know they might start missing them and, and it's a difficult one to to kind of diagnose really um, but obviously what you need to remember is that the whole point of the menopause is that you're not producing enough not producing any more eggs and so your estrogen levels and progesterone levels are going to drop and so weirdly 
you get a lot of the same symptoms as you would if you had reds when your estrogen levels are low and your progesterone levels are low. And obviously, so it can affect performance. It can obviously increase your risk of lower bone health. It can um, affect you cognitively. It does increase anxiety. And this is all related to this declining estrogen level. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of scaremongering about things like hormone replacement and, and you know, um, the options. But honestly, the the science behind hormone replacement therapy is really, really robust and really good. And I would recommend any woman who wants to continue running for the rest of their life, and particularly ultra running, I would really recommend considering and discussing with your GP and your medic or whoever's involved. But I would really recommend taking HRT once you get to the menopause because it can it can make a, such a big difference. And we've had so many women coming into clinic and they just literally couldn't believe the change in their mood, in their performance, in how they feel, in their sleep, just by taking HRT. And and what we would recommend is um, transdermal, so taking it through the skin rather than taking it orally, um, because that's where sometimes the issues can be occurred. When you take it orally, potentially you're absorbing it through the liver, whereas if you're doing it transdermally, it's going through the skin, and so it's much more bioidentical to what we normally produce. Um, I know I've just given you a lot of information. Um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah we've definitely got like enough for like three days and not just an hour here. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean the comments what are coming through. Everybody is kind of loving it and loving all the the tips and they're kind of loving the bits about the salt. Uh, endorphin seeker you should maybe listen back and scroll back he was asking about kind of preventing muscle cramps during an ultra is electrolyte balance and the research now unfortunately endorphin seeker is not it's about overstimulation in the muscles um we can maybe share some links to some articles or maybe touch that on another time um but so, yes most people are going off getting pads and paper and writing notes down so we're kind of yeah so one of my stuff. questions kind of to try and finish up because we've taken up so much of your time really is where do we get our information from and where this isn't our full-time job or you know we're just training and working and we want to give our body the best opportunity to thrive and to perform how do we know what to believe and what to do because I'm a sucker for marketing when I'm like up in the night and suddenly I'm buying some green powder to go in a smoothie or something like that say is if it sounds too good to be true it be true to be fair I have, a, I have a cupboard full of things that are way too good to be true um, and I think fundamentally to be honest while it might have sounded like it's complicated because I've just given you all so much information nutrition's really not that complicated it's, it's like the basics as I said right at the beginning it's ensuring good carbohydrate availability around your training it's ensuring good you know um, protein in your recovery and getting those essential fatty acids in and obviously we want you to have fruit and veg i mean and they're the basics right that's just kind of like that and that's no there's no rocket science in there there's no there's no weirdness or or extra strange ingredients or anything like that and i know like um like i've always been a very simple cook I'm not into big gourmet meals. I'm not into weird and wonderful ingredients. And, you know, um, I remember when um, I got asked to write training food and I was like, are you sure you want me to write a book with recipes in it? Because I really am very basic at cooking. 
<laughs> and like, you know, that's that's what we want. We want you to write things that everybody will want to cook because it's easy. And so, you know, I when I'm talking to clients or if I'm talking on on you know events like this, it's like baked potatoes, pasta, omelets. You know, it's it's simple stir fries. It's simple, simple stuff. And yes, you can make it exciting by adding coriander or something to it but um but you know it is it's basically trying to be quite I like simple food and I've always enjoyed simple food and again just you don't have to be gourmet I think so many people put pressure um, and this is kind of a slightly separate topic but it actually my the the podcast that I've recorded for Train Brave which comes out on Friday we're talking about this um is like everybody associates what they eat with health and yet health is so much bigger than just food and just training right health is it's like an attitude and I think that's been my biggest um fear is that obviously especially during the pandemic when we've all got more time to scroll and we're probably all scrolling more on Instagram and social media like you said Jen like there's so much out there you know eat this do this take this supplement and and I think the thing to remember guys is that we are in a massive time of uncertainty and there's a lot of fear and threats and, and stuff. And of course that makes us want to find something to anchor ourselves with and something to contain all the difficult feelings. And I suppose sometimes we jump to, well, if I eat like this or if I train like this, then 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 everything will be okay. But of course in the rational world, that's, that's not always the case. Uh, I do like Sherlock. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He's having a bit of a grumble at something. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's getting. I don't think he's getting bored. Or, or, he's probably hungry, but he's always. Like, Where's my attention? It's like, yeah. Well, that's what. Um, yeah. I guess to answer your question, Jen. I mean, oh god, how I, I wish I had the answer. Like I. I would, you know, I say, look, look at me, you know, I'm qualified and I've got several degrees and, and books and stuff. But, but you know, you don't have to be qualified to write a book. You don't have to be qualified to have an Instagram page. So it's really tricky to. But I would say, like, I think communities are really useful. Communities like this, um, where we're showcasing people, encouraging people. I always encourage people to work with coaches. I always do, because I just think, again, going back to accountability, particularly when things are tricky scenarios are tricky then having a coach that you can chat stuff through with can help you get overcome the fact races are being cancelled what's your goal i think that's all really important and working as a community is so important um and as i said if something looks too good to be true it probably is too good to be true so but but, but yeah. communities can also end up being filled with bro science as well can't and they? that's and how we science. end up doing you know ultra yeah. runners with fasted back-to-back -back runs and things like that <laughs> you, you, you know I, I you know and I think it is good to listen to other people going oh I tried this and it worked and people go off and try that but it's then kind of like holding that onto the elixir and that's the the holy grail of what um I should be doing you, you, you said that because my I mean this is not to try and promote anything but I'm but I said to you today I was meant to be writing today so I'm actually writing a new book which is the first time I've announced it and um, the book is actually on what you just said. It's actually on the fact that there are so many diets out there that people follow and that they do, and it works for them, but does that mean we should all be doing it? And so it's actually about looking at the science behind what people are eating, why they're doing it, what they're finding, but then actually looking at, is there any absolute evidence for it? But fundamentally, the, the, the idea of the book is to help people to make an informed choice for them as an individual and not go well because my training buddy eats 
Weetabix for breakfast every morning. That's what I need to do because actually your body might not want Weetabix, it might want toast. You know, it's this kind of like trying to work out what works for you. Yeah, and I would say that your Train Brave podcasts are really useful for kind of, not just it's not just nutrition, there's a lot that we haven't even touched on about the kind of um, psychological um, aspects of eating, of overtraining, of Red S, and yeah, so that's been a really good kind of free resource for that as well. Yeah, I was just going to say about the train break. If they want to take tonight to a further level and they want to continue hearing, um, you know, how they can look after themselves as runners and runners, and like as you say about health, then they have a train brave. Is yeah, it's a it's a great yeah um, great podcast. And but people can also reach out to you as well. So if they've got certain issues, um, if they go into your website, they can reach out to you and email you, and then like book appointments in consultations and things like that i put a lot of free content out on my instagram so my instagram is very much an education platform it's not about promoting me and if you want to know what's going on in my life don't look at instagram (laughs) you might get pictures of my dog in his towel that he's very unimpressed at but apart from that you won't get much else so um but yeah i do a lot of education like a lot of education work on there that's what it's about and that's kind of i guess that's my way of giving back to the community um is is that and also the podcast and yeah, we do, we do have a website, and um, I now have a bit of, I have a team, so I have a few more people that can help me out. So it's not all just me, um, and they're all they're all great and all aligned with how I work. So yeah, I mean, if if anybody has heard anything today and they're struggling or they're worried or they're concerned, then please feel free to drop us a line, and we will definitely try and help you. And if we can't, we'll signpost you because that's what we do as well. So. Um, <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for your time, Rini. I mean, like we could have just kept firing questions at you, so hopefully we haven't kept you too long. <laughs> and I can't believe Bailey has slept through. I mean, he's literally. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sherlock's just been like a little toddler wanting attention tonight. <laughs> and uh, if, if we get lots of questions after tonight, we maybe have to invite you back on later on yeah. in the summer just, as we just do race food or recovery <laughs> and try and not to cover everything in yeah. one hour <laughs> no i'm always happy i mean obviously you know you know i love you guys and i love claire as well and i hope all's going well with her and and the little one and um yeah no it's been really lovely to be involved and if i can help then always always happy to help thank Brilliant. you so much thank you so much for joining us Rini. Rini mcgregor everybody thank you very much <laughs> Wow, that was, uh, I've learned so much there myself, even as, as a coach, so I'm going to go away and listen to this again. Research salt. Uh, research <laughs> but Yeah, I never thought about actually taking uh, more salt um, to actually help with stomach issues. So I hope you enjoyed tonight as well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the comments. Sorry we've not been able to answer a lot of yeah, questions sorry, coming there's in. there's been so many questions and so many comments and there was just too much to get through. <laughs> yeah, um, but we'll maybe answer some of them and maybe see if Rini can answer some of the questions um, on YouTube uh, as well. Um, as we started the podcast, um, we mentioned the passing of a great dear friend, um, John Canasti. So we thought we'd end... Um, just in a few moments of, of thinking of, of John and be reminding of what an amazing, inspiring ambassador and runner and a wonderful smile he had um, when out on racing. So thank you for joining us this evening. We'll be back next week at half past six. Hope you can join us then. And uh, but let's end tonight just being mindful of uh, John.
Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.